Welcome to the Gem of All Mechanisms podcast, where we interview those in the know from academics and computer scientists to policymakers, philosophers and more about the effects of 21st century tech on us all. PCS, the Chartered Institute for IT, supports people who work in the industry and wants to make IT good for the whole of society by shaping policy, influencing change and raising educational standards. My name is Brian Runcible. I'm speaking to uh, Rebecca George, OBE, today. She's, she's our incoming uh, president at uh, BCS, also the managing partner of the public sector practice at Deloitte Europe. Hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to talk to you about a few subjects uh, close to your heart. Your, your, your public sector area, of course, so if you want to bring that in, that's your expertise. We'd love to hear your view on, on all matters related. I'd just like to ask you, first of all, about... Um, the efforts that organisations are going through at transforming their business right now, are they doing it effectively? Transformation is a big word, isn't it? Mm. And um, I can really only speak about what's happening in the public sector sure. because that's what my clients are doing. Every single organisation we work with is, is on a transformation journey. Uh, some are more advanced than others and they are, you know, their systems are in the cloud. They've got really good security measures in place. They're into agile. Uh, they're using off-the-shelf applications. You know, they're really getting to grips with how to use their data mm. uh, and how to transform that citizen experience. Others still have a way to go, and you know, we still do have some organisations which are on their old VM systems and have that legacy system transformation to get to grips with. I guess, I guess that the thing that we we try to talk about most with our public sector clients is not to think of it as an IT project, mm. but to think of it as a business transformation which happens to be enabled by IT. Now, what, what, what do you think tends to be missed when, when, when organisations are on the journey? One of the things that people can miss, they don't always miss it, but they can miss it, is the effort that is required on, on the cultural change. So people know and understand that they have to do process transformation, They that they need to think about... Um, the basic training, if you like, on new systems. Yeah. But quite often with, with transformations, there's a big cultural change. It's actually about changing the the dynamics of organ the organisation. It's about changing the way that the organisation interacts with not only citizens, but also other parts of its own organisation. Yeah. And increasingly for the public sector, other organisations, mm. both in the public and the private sector, and it's that cultural change that I think can be underestimated. One of the things I've been talking about to all the uh, interviewees in, the, in this series is the terms that we actually use. Now, uh, this might not be directly relevant to you. Um, I, um, I had a, a little comment here from uh, Google's Francis, uh, Francois Chalet saying that AI is a category error and we should use the term cognitive automation. But I just wondered in your area in the public sector, do we use terms that confuse people even when we're going through those processes i think we do and i think we do it unwittingly i think i think that it's there is a lot of jargon associated with it um, and in fact one of the things that um we've been developing on the organization and employers board the board that i've been chairing to date mm. is an offering we're calling digital dipping and what that is is it's a high level introduction to what digital and what transformation is aimed at boards of organisations. Right. Because often, you know, the, it's the boards have to make these really big decisions about funding these big programmes. Mm. And you get a lot of words banded around, you know, blockchain or 
AI or, you know... IoT. IoT, all (laughs) sorts of different things that they kind of think they probably know what it is, but actually when it comes down to it, they don't know enough to be able to make a big financial decision. So Mm. I think, I mean, I think we do have to be really careful about that. And I think we should also encourage people to just ask questions if they're not sure. We talked as an organisation, haven't we, for a long time. We used to call it a hybrid manager, somebody that could take the technical information and pass it on in an understandable way. Uh, But uh, the different levels of understanding on the board, some people want to get really into the nitty gritty. What's this app going to provide for me? Will it do this particular function? Rather than perhaps looking at the principles behind how it's going to transform the life of an actual customer. Do you think that's an issue, that the the level we communicate might be wrong? I think that it's always been a great challenge. And for me, one of the greatest pleasures of my entire career has been being what I call a translator. Okay. Operating in that space between technical architects Mm. and end users. Um, And I think that too often we don't value the importance of that translation And for boards, it's about pitching it at the right level. But actually, when you go into other parts of the organisation, you have to be able to say, you know, for you, it's really going to be important that you understand that if you create an app and you put it out into the the public space, it's going to endure. It's going to last forever. We need to talk about what happens to it in some detail. Mm. So I think it is about, I think that translation is really important, but I also think you have to pitch it right for the level of of your audience. So essentially you've been a hybrid manager all your life really, is that what you say? That's been your thing. probably, yeah. (laughs) Well, because I started out right at the beginning in cable television and satellite systems. Right. Um, That's what my Master of Science was in. Yeah. But for most of my career, I have operated at that front end I was a sales rep for IBM for a long time. Right. Um, And so, you know, understanding the application of IT in the business, in in the business arena has really been vital. Yeah, yeah, my career. Absolutely. So let's look then at this subject of of ethics, personal responsibility, professionalism. I know this is something you want to take up in your presidential year, and it's a key thread for insights. Do IT professionals, in your view, take into account ethical considerations in their day-to-day work enough? Well, that's a big question, isn't it, Brian? Mm. Um, which is why you've asked me. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to have to say no. Okay. And I, and I, it's not because I it's not because I don't think that IT professionals care. I think IT professionals do care. Yeah. I think that too few people who are building our critical hidden infrastructure, you know, for this industrial world, too few people are regularly asked the questions that we, for example, ask in yeah. our code of conduct. Yes. And I I do genuinely believe that if you're asked ethical questions on a regular basis and you're made to think about it and you're made to sign up to a code of conduct, you do give it some thought. Right. And if you're never asked, if you're never asked questions, you never look at the questions, you never think about it, then really why would you so for me i believe passionately that it's really important for those people who are building our systems public and private sector national and international to have the qualifications and accreditations to do those jobs yeah and also to have an ethical backbone and while whilst the code of conduct isn't going to be the panacea for all things 
I genuinely do think it helps. Good starting and that, point. And that is an mm. important part of the BCS accreditation yeah. process. I mean, I, I wrote a couple of examples down. Um, it could be something like an algorithm. This is in the news, isn't it? Biased algorithms produce biased results, non-diverse teams produce that kind of effect we'll come on to perhaps gender in a moment uh, but also uh, maybe maybe someone's just asked to go a little bit beyond um what they should what they feel they should be doing with with gdpr how, so how can we enable people uh, professionals to have the confidence to perhaps push back or do even a little bit of whistleblowing do you think well we do i mean we do need to make sure that people can raise issues um, confidentially mm. if they need to and a lot of organizations do have speak up capabilities or speak up yes. lines for employees to do that and i think it's really really important that they do but it comes back to again that question of culture i think that if your leadership in an organization genuinely believes that it's appropriate and right for everyone to speak up about everything that's going on and they cascade it down and it gets past that rump of middle management that can sometimes be a bit of a blocker <laughs> but everybody genuinely and passionately believes it then I think that changes the yeah. the way the organisation works I had a really inspirational conversation with a team from British Airways a little while ago talking about safety mm-hmm. and it just shone through that at every single level from the most senior you know down to the people packing the sandwiches or taking the chocks out from the uh, wheels of the aeroplanes everybody felt it was their duty right. to be on the lookout for safety and to call things out. And when they did, they were celebrated and supported. And I think that's you know we need what that we should, mindset yeah, for ethics. That's what we should be yeah. aspiring to for all of our yeah. all of our IT professionals. As an organisation for our employees, BCS have a whistleblower policy. Uh, but as as an organisation that straddles and tries to make itself a centre for discussion. Is there more we could do, do you think, as an organisation for the IT professional at large, or is that really encompassed in our code of conduct and our member approach? I don't think it is covered in our code of conduct, and I, th- I certainly think it would be something worth exploring. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I'm very keen to make sure we do is collaborate as much as possible, mm. BCS with other organisations. And I think if we were going to be thinking about some sort of whistleblowing capability, we would probably want to talk to some other organisations about doing that jointly. I just think, you know, there's so much we can do on our own, but there's so much more we can do if we work with other people. And in this particular discussion, we also need to be able to bring in an international dimension somehow. So many of our professionals are working on systems that involve data crossing borders or transactions crossing borders or goods or services crossing borders and I think that we need to work out how to give them some sort of comfort uh, as well as the people who are working on UK-based systems. Interesting. To hear a range of fascinating speakers live, come along to BCS Insights 2020 on June 4th at the Crystal in London. Tech leaders and professionals, futurologists, influencers and innovators will discuss the way we use technology today and explore how we create a bright digital future for everyone. Find out more at bcs.org slash events. Let's move on then to one of the underpinning discussions around these things, which is the gender gender diversity agenda. This is something that's close to your heart, something that we've, we've talked about at BCS for a long time now. We know there's a problem. We've talked about that a lot. So in, in a practical sense, where should we, push in, we be pushing a bit further to actually change the numbers? 
Do you know, it would be brilliant if I knew the answer to that question. <laughs> uh, I've been working to promote women in IT now since mid 1990s. Yeah. And we have made progress, there's no question. Mm. But it is snail like yes. in its progress. And, and I just, uh, I think it's still think it's multifaceted. So I still think that uh, even with all the brilliant work that Bill Mitchell and his team does in schools, there's still more to do. Yeah. There's still more to do to make the curriculum more inspirational to girls, but also to enable girls to participate more fully in the in the classroom. There's more to do around role models so that girls can see successful women in the IT industry mm. and in the other STEM industries and aspire to those sorts of jobs. There's And there's more to do, not possibly at the apprentice or graduate recruitment stages of people's careers. I know from my practical experience that we and our clients do well uh, with ethnic minorities and women in, in early years of mm. careers, but we don't do really well enough retaining those people through the middle years of their yeah. career and into the senior levels. I've talked to Deloitte about having a um, having a seven year strategy for recruitment where we where we really emphasise recruiting diversity from the start for a yeah. long period of time to enable us to have more of a pipeline when we get to the senior level roles. Whether we'll do it or not remains to be seen, but I think some sort of more radical approach is, yeah. is probably required. So we we, yeah. we have quite an influence, don't we, as BCS over the younger end of the pipeline, the fact that we do so much with schools and, and so on. And we know that uh, girls actually do very well. They outstrip boys indeed in terms of marks and, and, and so on and so forth. What about a bit later on where um, we have work returners or those that maybe want to just change their career at, at a point? There's perhaps a big gap there, isn't there, yeah. with, with, the, with, the, with the gender <coughs> divide? There is a huge gap uh, when you get to, I guess, sort of 7, 10, 12 years of, of work experience. Yeah. That tends to be when uh, we lose both women and ethnic minorities, out of, particularly out of large organisations. I think it is still far too difficult for people to return into a career if they've had a break both men and women, mm. and organisations make that hard, um, much harder than it needs to be. People may have lost, you know, their immediate skills in a certain yeah. programming language or set of applications, but they're pretty easily picked up again if, yeah. if organisations will take that chance. Now, what do you think holds them back from taking the chance? What are the barriers? Well, sometimes it's that Returners to work would prefer to work part time. Mm. Would prefer to work times which fit in with their their children's school holidays, or that fit in with increasingly looking after their elderly parents. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there is sometimes a fear that um, people who are more mature will ask for more money. I, I actually don't think that's true in practice. I think that mm. people returning to careers are happy to come in at a 
a relatively junior level because they want to work yes. and they want to learn. Yeah. It's not necessarily about status or salary as long as progression is there. To be honest with you, Brian, I don't really understand what the barrier is because I've I've recruited plenty of women and I've got women on my team who are hugely successful senior directors and partners with children working part-time, yeah. doing a fabulous job. Just last week, I also met, met a great job share at one of my clients' organisations. And that's another thing. I just don't think we, we just don't seem to do it enough. Not that we're here to advertise BCS HQ, but actually, actually HQ are quite good at this as well. We have we have many women in senior roles actually work part time because they have a young family. Or on the the other point, you make an interesting one: looking after older parents is increasingly an issue as well, isn't it? It is. The digital world has endless possibilities and seemingly endless challenges. BCS is working to find truth and build trust by sharing experiences, debating what we know, and discovering what we don't. Get involved in the BCS's Truth and Trust campaign and tell us what you think about the issues raised in this podcast at bcs.org slash truth. Can I just broaden the, the discussion out a little bit to um, the ethics picture for, for, for business a bit more broadly? Got a little comment here. This is specifically about AI, but in AI there's, there's over 80 ethical frameworks now that have been produced by different people. Where do you think... Uh, an individual and a business should start when they're trying to work out where they should be going ethically. I mean, that's quite confusing to start with, isn't it? So I um, I actually think you're right. I think it can be really confusing, and I think there's an awful lot go- going on. And, and you know, there, there are new institutes and standards and frameworks appearing all the time. However, when you boil it when you boil it right down, mm. what you want is you want to to know that. When you commission an IT system, when you want an IT system built, the people who are building it are properly qualified to do that job in every way, which includes understanding the importance of bringing integrity and ethics. Their conduct. Yeah, Mm. their conduct. They're Mm. bringing bringing that to the job that they do every day. Mm. Now, we expect that as a matter of course in virtually all the other professions that we deal with. We expect accountants and lawyers and teachers and nurses and doctors to bring that sense of account personal accountability mm. to work with them every day. We expect it. We don't ask them to prove it every day. Perhaps we should with some of them, but we don't. <laughs> but we expect it. And I'm not sure why we don't expect it of IT professionals as well. So one of the things that I would absolutely love is I would love... People who are buying support for building an IT system to build into their request for a proposal, uh, you know, a request to say, when you propose people to build this IT system, we want you to show us and tell us how they're qualified and accredited to build it. Mm. We want proof. We want to know that the people that that you're giving us to build our IT systems are not cowboys. And you think that doesn't really happen at the moment? No, I don't think it does happen. Another step back then, so I'm thinking about the perception of the public now. There might be a perception that a doctor and a lawyer need these properly accredited things and we kind of assume they've got them. As IT takes more and more of a hold and it gets more and more of an issue with things like AI and so on and so forth, do you think the public might actually start to clamour for a little bit more? We need to know what these people can actually do. It's difficult to talk about the general public. I think that there is a growing 
a growing concern in the public about social media mm. and the effects of social media on all sorts of different people, but but obviously primarily children yeah. and vulnerable people. And I think that um, there is a feeling in the public that social media companies must be accountable for what their for their content. Yes, I think the general public don't really associate IT professionals with every single walk of life. Right. That's part of our problem. The IT is everywhere. Yes. I'm not sure the general public necessarily think about, well, are the people who are writing my online banking system, are they properly qualified to do that? Mm. Are the people who are, you know, who are writing the system for the appointments I make at, at the hospital or at the doctor, or the people that I'm interacting with to buy my shopping online, I'm not sure that they think about the fact that all of those systems are underpinned by people who yes. are writing code. Mm. So I think I think from a public perception point of view, there's a bit there is a gap in 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 understanding the roles uh, and the importance, by the way, of 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 IT people in everything yeah. everything we do. So you, you know that we've recently launched this uh, Truth and Trust uh, campaign where we're trying to just get people thinking about those issues. What's your perception on how far we need to go to regain the public trust? We might not expect them to to think about the professionalism aspects. So what do you think we could do as, a, as, as an industry to get back their trust? Because that is being eroded at the moment, isn't it? I think there are, there are a few different dimensions to public trust in IT. There's a, a dimension which is around is around social media, and I think that is around both government and social mm. media organisations jointly taking responsibility for um, for upping their game yeah. in terms of content, content management, ethics and protecting vulnerable people. Mm. So I think that's one piece. You know, I've always quite liked the idea of kite marks. I do I do quite like the idea that in, in the same way that we have trusted sites that we use for yeah. certain transactions online, that we could expand that. There could be more, you know, understanding that this is safe and this yeah. isn't. One of the problems that the that we have with um, with the general public, which is entirely understandable, is there's so much fraud uh, and there's so much online fraud, and that and that seems to be increasing all the time. So I think if there was a thing, you know, if there was a thing that we were going to do in terms of making IT good for society, which of course is our strategy. Mm. It would be for the BCS to work with other organisations on how to really educate people to protect themselves from fraud. It's not going to go away, and the criminals are always working to stay one step ahead. But I think we do need to help and, and promote safe practice online as much as we possibly can yeah. to protect people. And I do think that that would help with public perception of, of, of trustworthiness, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a bigger question again, so I'm sort of stepping back step by step here. This is something I've asked a couple of people. Is capitalism and the capitalist, capitalist approach part of the problem? In that, that is... <laughs> Go on. Well, we're driven by cash, right? We, I, I put a note in your notes. Um, we lord self-made men. Now, that's not a very gender-diverse term, but that is the term we use, isn't it? That's mostly about their cash, isn't it? So it's really interesting question for me because obviously I've only worked with the public sector for the last 20 years. And mm. one of the reasons that I love working with the public sector so much is because it's not actually about cash. Yeah. It's about citizens. 
when we do work with our public sector clients, we are spending public money. And it really, really matters that yeah. we make the right impacts with that money. And ultimately, we are improving the interactions or the lives of citizens. Mm. So that's been an underpinning of, of my professional career for a very long time. Do I think capitalism uh, needs changing? Absolutely, I do. I suspect strongly that capitalism has reached a point in its evolution where it is time for some big changes. Right. And actually, you know, if I think about climate change and capitalism, I'm not sure the two can possibly go hand in hand. And if we genuinely believe that we have to start making some fundamental changes globally mm. to the way we live our lives in order to save mankind, because I happen to think the planet will be all right, then I think we probably also need to make some changes in capitalism as well. Yes. As an aside, I also think technology can be a real, real key to helping with both climate change and capitalism. Yeah. But only in a world where we're willing to work together, collaborate and negotiate the way forward. And it's more than just asking the big questions, it's actually answering the big questions, isn't it? Are we doing enough at BCS? Are we doing enough? Uh, nobody's doing enough at the moment, certainly on, on climate change. Um, I definitely think we need to be part of an escalation of the voice. We've seen some amazing things in the last couple mm. of years raising the issue, but I'm still not sure that people really have the sense of urgency that they should. Okay. Uh, I, I did have a really interesting conversation with the head of uh, Net Zero Carbon uh, in the government recently, and it, it is completely clear to me that every single one of us has an obligation and a duty to do what we can now and also to, to work with our organisations to do what we can jointly and severally yeah. going forward. Well, look, that's been really interesting. I do have one lighter question that I like to ask at the end, which I'm going to run by you, see, and answer it or not, as you see fit. People are worried in the big wide world, aren't they, that um, AI is going to go nuts and uh, kill us all. Elon Musk, even Stephen Hawking talked about that. Um, on the other side of the coin, we've got the likes of Ray Kurzweil, who think that actually what's going to happen is in a couple of years we're going to upload our minds and all live in a digital utopia. Which one's going to come first? Neither. <laughs> I don't. I don't ascribe to either of those views. I mean, I actually think, you know, personally, there's a lot of discussion about AI, mm. and it's all very interesting. If you go back 10, 20, 30 years, there's been other things that we've all discussed uh, around IT, and they've all been either going to change the world for much the worse or much the better. Yes. And none of them come to pass. I think that well, we they just became tools, didn't well, they? Well, they just became tools. Yeah. I, think, I think we underestimate the human ability to create a tool out of an idea and to put the appropriate safeguards and controls around it. I'm much more worried about where social media and online crime is going than AI right now. And that's where I think we should be putting our focus. Okay, that's an excellent comment to finish on. Um, thank you very much for speaking to you, Rebecca, and uh, all the best with your year as president. Thank you, Brian. Thanks. You have been listening to BCS, the Chartered Institute for IT's Gem of All Mechanisms podcast. For much more content, please visit bcs.org or follow us on social media.